Life goals, part number four, final installment. Man, we're gonna be talking about mission, strategy, and values today, and I believe it's gonna be good. But when you think about life goals, and we've been talking a lot about goals, and uh, it's been a real good series, but when you think about life goals today, I want you to think about it in light of mission. When you think about goals in the light of mission, basically goals can be synonymous with mission. And, and, and our mission basically is what wakes us up in the morning. It's what gets us out of the bed. It, it's, it's that fire within us, that passion within us that gets us moving and causes us to continue. And we know that mission is really why we exist. So when you think about mission, you gotta think about why do I exist or why do we exist? And that's, that's a question that we should ask ourselves from time to time. But Jesus gives us that answer. You know, in the light of mission with the church, we, 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 we believe that we exist. Our mission as Northwood Church is to build Christ-centered communities that help people know God, grow in Christ, and go in the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. Now, we know that is the Great Commission, and thank God that, that he gave us the mission. We don't have to go on a journey of discovery, right? We don't have to go to a great retreat weekend and be enlightened because the word has enlightened us already, that we have a mission already from God. It takes away the confusion. It causes us to center our focus and to press into what God has for us as individuals. How many excited about that? A lot of people get confused about what's my mission in life. Well, your mission is that. Build Christ-centered communities that know, grow, and go until Jesus returns. And Jesus' mission is always our mission as believers. I mean, 100% of the time. And, and, and what happens is that a lot of times our mission is a big picture. It's a bird's eye view. But how many of you know it takes a strategy to actually accomplish that mission? And the thing about Jesus, what I love about Jesus, when he left the Great Commission to his disciples, he didn't give us all the strategy answers. And a lot of times we wish he did. It's like, Lord, what do we do now? He said, keep seeking me, I'm gonna show you. I might give you just a little bit of light ahead of, a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, but keep on following me. I think it's a part of trusting God. I think it's a part of realizing that in our own intellect and in our own power, we don't have what it takes and we can rely on God fully for the strategy that we need to carry out the Great Commission. Now, a lot of you guys in here, we've got teachers, right? We've got doctors, we have some lawyers, we have some police officers, we got all kind of different industries here, we got all kind of different people groups here, and I think it's a beautiful picture of the church. And, and what you're praying today is, Lord, show me the strategy that I can carry out your great commission in my family, in my job, in my vocation. We talked about it last week, where, I, where I'm at every day, in the marketplace, on the ball fields, in the classrooms, and that's a prayer to pray, Lord, lead me and guide me and show me how to accomplish your, your will. And that's kind of what strategy looks like. And strategy is how we accomplish the mission. You heard the old saying, a goal without a plan is a wish. Well, a, 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 a mission without a strategy is a fleeting dream. It's just a pie in the sky idea. And so we need that action plan. 
We need it because if without it, we're just floundering around, not knowing which way is up and which way is down. And I think that we need the direction from the Lord day in and day out. In the early church, they prayed every day, lead us, Lord, show us what's next. And I think when we begin to develop that type of prayer life and that type of heart posture, things begin to happen in our life. What we don't want to do is shelf the Great Commission and shelf the strategies that God wants to give us and say, that's for a Sunday morning and I'll take it off the shelf when I come to church. You know what I'm talking about? We are the church and we have the greatest opportunity to effectively carry out his mission day out, every single day of our lives. But a lot of times we're distracted. A lot of times things begin to cloud that. A lot of times it's like fog. And, and it's not that we forget, but we displace that mission. And I think times like this, when we come together to worship and when we come together to hear the word of God, God does something on the inside of us that we can leave here and carry out. We're only here for about an hour and a half. And God put it that way. When we gather together, we're hearing a teaching from the word of God. The Holy Spirit enlightens us. And then we say, yes, Lord, and we begin to put one foot in front of the other. You with me? And this is the posture we should be leaning into. This is the exciting life of faith. But when we think about strategy and when we think about mission, we're anchored in what we call values. And values are who we are becoming or who we are today. Values. Who are we and who are we becoming? Now, we know that we're being conformed into the image of Jesus. That's the goal. But every one of us has values knowingly or unknowingly in our life. A lot of people say, well, I don't have values and I haven't created core values in my family, I haven't created values in my business, but values, if, if, let me put it this way. Th this is how you figure out what your values are. Are you ready? This is a quick value test. Think about this. Think about what your thought life looks like. Just take a moment and think about that. Think about what your thought life looks like. What goes on in that mind day in and day out, right? Think, think about what your daily behaviors look like, where that energy is spent day in and day out, yeah? Think about where you spend your time. Think about where you spend your time. And then think about where you invest your money. Think about that. And those right there are, are indicators of what your values are. So a lot of people say, I don't know what my values are. Well, whatever your answers were to those, and that might take some reflection time, that is your values. You know, the thing about values that are so important about them is they actually create guardrails in our life. How many of you know that, that your mission can drift you can drift from that great commission based on your values. And that's why when we come together, when we pray, when we hear a word of God, we pull ourselves, we realign ourselves back with Christ's values. We put it this way, when you surrender to Christ, you surrender to his values. I have to do a value check all the time. Value checks are very, very positive. That's why I think it's paramount that we do not forsake the gathering together of the saints, but we come together even more as we see the day approaching. Meaning, me just as a pastor, 
I can sit right here and worship and begin to worship God with the saints, with the believers, and God begins to adjust my values again. And again, and again, it's perpetual, it's continual. And that's the beautiful thing about following the Holy Spirit of God is he reminds us of the values of Christ when we surrender to him. And, and we have the opportunity every single day because listen, yesterday's gone, tomorrow's just a, a, a fall glass out there, but what do we have? We have today. And that's all we have. And so in today, we can be surrendered to Christ's values. See, taking on Christ's values comes from taking on Christ's cross. Jesus explained it this way to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. He told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Paul confessed this about himself in Galatians chapter two, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's the crucified life. It's the life that we die to, to selfish values so that we can live to Christ's values, and there's power in that, and there's passion in that, and there's grace that comes with that. That means God's spirit gives us the ability to actually adopt the values of Christ and then begin to operate in them, because without Christ, there's no, we have no power. We, 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 we can't operate in the values of Christ, but when we are crucified with Christ, it's his power that works through us for his glory. You know, as a church, we have some values, and you've heard a lot about them, and we're going to actually talk about some of those today in the light of the cross. I wrote this in my notes. We as a church have values that are found in the life and sacrifice of Christ. It's the greatest uh, picture. Is the cross paints the greatest picture of these values, the internal implications, the, the, the highest of highest of these values we see through the cross. Let's look at this. Jesus valued people on the cross. Now remember, G Jesus told his disciples that you're to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And so these values, guess what? We sometimes have to deny ourselves and follow him. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus valued people on the cross to such a degree that he died for us. We value people because God first values us. I think that's the big deal. There's no way we're able to value people like God values people unless we're, first in, unless we're first loved. It's like God loves us first so that now we can show his love to others. Without the love of God operating in your life, it's impossible to love people the way God loves people. There's a worldly kind of love. There's a worldly kind of value system, but it is no comparison to Christ's love. And so as, as individuals, first thing we have to realize is that God values me. God values you. He died for you. 
He paid the price that you couldn't pay. While you were still sinners, Christ died. That's the greatest miracle that you will ever know, that you will ever see. Christ died for you, and he died for you when you hated him, when your life was projected against him. He died the death that no one could die in a place for you that no one could take. How can I love more? By experiencing his love for us. There's no other way. There's no other way. The Bible says there's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ. You've been set free from the law of sin and death because of the power of the cross. And the Holy Spirit makes that real to us as individuals. And it's, it's more than just words that a preacher is talking about. It becomes real to your life to such a degree that it propels you forward. It causes you to see people the way Christ sees people. It's the Holy Spirit in you that does that in the life of an individual. It's not by power or by might, but it's by his spirit. I can't actually create that in myself. That's something that we have to realize. When we say that one of our values is we value people because God values people, we, we realize that we can't do it in our own strength. We have to first realize that God values us and then ask him to give us that compassion that he has for other people. We call it the compassion of Christ. And that's what we have. So when you think about this value that Jesus valued people, I want you to think about your life. How are you valuing people? A tool that I used uh, time to time and quite often actually is prayer. Simple prayer. When, when I feel like I'm not valuing people like God values them or I might be having negative thoughts, you know what I'm talking about, negative thoughts about people or aggravations or frustrations or disappointments, uh, you know what I mean? It could be with us. It could be with your family. It could be with your friends. It could be in the work. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? You just, you, you just don't feel like you're operating like Christ would operate. That's an indicator. That's the Holy Spirit in you that convicts you, that shows you that there's a better way. There's a better way for his glory, but it's also better for you holistically. It's better for your heart. It's better for your blood pressure. Come on, somebody. And what I found for me, when I, when I say, yeah, Jesus valued people, yep, he laid down his life on the cross, and I can read that scripture, you know what I mean? I can even post it on the wall, and I can quote it a few times, but that doesn't mean all of a sudden I'm moving in the compassion of Christ day in and day out. I have to stop regularly and pray for my brother, and pray for my sister, my brother, my friend. You are my brothers and sisters, right? We, we are brothers and sisters. I have to pray for you. Those who are outside of the kingdom, I have to pray for them. And I have found that even though my mind and maybe my emotions and my heart is not exuding the, the compassion of Christ uh, to give him glory, then what I do is when I begin to pray for them, there's something supernatural that begins to happen to me as an individual. I can feel my brain changing I'm not trying to get weird on you guys. I'm just telling you the truth. 
I'm just, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to have a polished, polished message here. I'm just trying to tell you. If, if I, and these are our values. And just because we wrote the values on a getaway, and we've been praying about them, and I think they're wonderful and, 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 and they're great as a church, we as pastors have to pray about these values that we can do. And we have to pray as a church that we do. That's why I invite you to prayer. On, on, on first Wednesday of the month, if you, if you don't know how to pray, come to those prayer meetings. My life has been changed in prayer meetings. I've been in prayer meetings for 23 years. And when, when I begin to pray, my heart begins to change because I'm agreeing with God. And when I agree with God, there's power in his word. It's supernatural power. You, you with me? A lot of you, if you just start praying for your spouse, you wouldn't be talking about divorce. Come on, somebody. If you pray more, you wouldn't be talking as much. Am I preaching now? I do that, running my mouth at the house, frustrated. When I start praying, things start changing. The atmosphere changes. You know what I'm talking about. How am, I, how, 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 am I, how am I going to value people like Jesus valued people? I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray. Just telling you guys. How can I love more? Pray more. Pray more. Number two, Jesus valued hospitality on the cross. You know, the next core value that we have as a church is hospitality. You know, the, the amazing story is when they, when they brought him to the place of the cross, no, normal place where the Romans crucified people, they were crucifying a couple other fellows that day on the cross. It wasn't just Jesus. There was one to his left and there was one to his right and they were criminals. And, and, and one of the criminals was right there talking to Jesus. And he, and he basically, he basically was, the other guy was cursing Jesus, you know what I'm talking about? But this other guy was like, dear God, please, this, this guy, look, remember me, Jesus. You know what I mean? Invite me, Lord. Remember me. And, and Jesus mutilated in the flesh, Mut, mutilated, literally mutilated. Some of his last words were forgive them for they know not what they do, talking about the love he prayed, forgive them for they know not what they do. Talking about love, powerful. But he looked to one of those criminals on, 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 on the left and, and, and basically the criminal who's pleading his case to him. Here's what he said. Luke chapter 23, Jesus, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. The greatest form of hospitality, inviting a stranger into your place, if you would, to eat from your table, who was a criminal. Showing hospitality is the bridge between isolation and community. It's an invitation to join Jesus in heaven. Revelations talks about the feast of the lamb, the great banquet. Now, we know on earth we show hospitality to people by inviting them to our table and sharing our testimony. And we know we show hospitality to people by inviting them to this table right here, this church that we're eating from the table of the Lord together right now. 
And we're inviting people to this table, but the highest table above, the table of, 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 of tables is Jesus's table. And he, show, and he showed us, he showed us right here what it looks like. I'm gonna read to you a parable. It's called the parable of the great banquet. I'm gonna read it to you. I want you to just listen to it, okay? Just listen. Luke chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus telling this parable. He said also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. The second said, he said, please excuse me. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. <clears throat> That's another message. <laughs> I choked up on that one. <clears throat> what an excuse. Some of you are making those excuses now. You're blaming your wife. You're blaming, I'm contextualizing now. You're blaming your wife. You no good. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. He went back to the, you know the master's Jesus, right? The servant came and he reported these things to the master and the master became angry and he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and there's still room in your house. There's still room at your table. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house might be full. Basically, there's people like the guy and the criminal on the cross saying, remember me. Remember me. And one way that we show hospitality to those who are outside of the table is we compel them. We invite them and we bring them. All right, we're gonna do an exercise right now. It's an old school exercise, nevertheless, we're gonna do it. You're gonna repeat after me. We compel them. We invite them. We bring them. We compel them. We invite them. We bring them. That's what we do. That's what we do. Come and eat from the table of the Lord. Revelation chapter 19 verse nine says, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the lamb. 
You know how you ignite this fire in your heart? Prayer. Worship. Meditation on the word. Rinse and repeat. Prayer. Worship. Meditation on the word. Rinse and repeat. How can I show hospitality more? Think about that with me for a moment. How can you use me, Lord? What am I missing? What's consuming me? Compel them, invite them, and bring them. Boy, it's, it's a... We're not worthy to do that, but God makes us worthy to do that. You understand that? He allows us to be partakers of this beautiful gospel of reconciling men to God. It's beautiful. It's powerful. By the way, don't think you have to have it all together. And we, we just say this. I'm not talking about you out there stepping all over grace, continuing in your thing. You're lost. You don't, you don't know God. I'm talking about you make mistakes, you repent, you compel them, you invite them, you bring them. Let's go on to the next one. Jesus valued community on the cross. He, va he valued community on the cross. We wrote in our notes this week that we are a fellowship of forgiven people that come under the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. We are a fellowship. We are, we are joint heirs with Christ. We make up the body of Christ. We are one people group, if you would. You better like each other. You know what I mean? You're one people group here. You know? You're one people group. First John chapter one, verse seven says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The reason we have fellowship with one another is because of Jesus, right? And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I love this because it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, Right? We're no longer walking in darkness, but we're walking in light. But collectively, we're walking in the light as he is in the light. I think about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. There was a cloud by day. There was a fire by night. It was his presence. It was his light. And they were, they were in fellowship with one another. And they were coming out of Egypt. And they were a fellowship. They were his body. And God was purifying them as a group. God was sanctifying them. He said, I'm coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. And he knows that we're the bride of Christ and that he, he, he's purifying you within the context of fellowship. We have fellowship with one another as we follow him in the light. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We know that we're cleansed when we're justified 
We know that when we're saved, when we're justified by faith, that, that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God's removed our transgressions from us. But we still got some Egypt in us. Come on, somebody. We still have some of those old habits in us, those old attitudes, that, 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 that sin that's trying to trap you that's just like a hook in your life. And, and, and as you walk in the light with the fellowship of, of the believers in a community, in the context of community, God does a purification work. It's a beautiful picture of the way God works in community, and that's why we value community. We, you know, we value a place where people can belong, but greater than that, we know in the context of community, we're purified. We encourage one another. We pray for one another so that we might be healed. We challenge one another. We're sharpening one another. We're rebuking one another. We're teaching one another, right? Come on. And, 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 if you're, and, and if you're not surrendered to Christ, all you're going to do is point your finger, get offended, act funny, have your own motive, get weird, do all those stuff, and you ain't going to be purified. You're just going to be dangling around out there somewhere. I don't know. You know how it is. I don't like what that guy said. I don't like that preacher. I don't like what Pastor Jordan thinks. I don't care what that small group leader is. I don't know what their problem is. You're so full of yourself. That's the problem. This is not in my notes. <laughs> A Christ-centered community is one that's, uni that's united by faith in Christ, period, and Jesus was clear that he was inviting people to be a part of that community of believers with shared values. Our prayer is today that you would get the heart of these values, not the language of them. And that we would see it from Christ's vantage point, the highest of the highest of each one of these values. You know, God always has a people and God always has a place for his people. I don't care what anybody says. Ephesians chapter two, just listen to me, says this, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ. All of us at one time was separated from Christ. Some of you are separated from Christ right now. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You are outside of the promises of God. They weren't yes and amen. You didn't have the promise. You were, you were isolated from it. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So you've been grafted in. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ and you've been added to his kingdom and you've been added to his community and you've been added to his promises and we are a collective here. We are a community of believers, a fellowship of his saints, Right? So I don't know, and we're not saying that this is the, uh, uh, look, if, this is what we say all the time. If you are not in a fellowship of believers, go find a fellowship of believers. There's many of them around. If this is your home, then this is your home. Clean the house. All right? This is, this is your home. How can I foster community more? 
Think about that. How can I foster this fellowship more? How can I foster love in this fellowship more? How can I invite more people to be a part of this community? How can I connect people who are coming into this community to be a part of this community? Some of you have been coming here for three or four weeks, don't know anybody. Stay around a little bit. Hang out. And you realize we're just normal people. Don't let that scare you off. That's one of the reasons we do unscripted, right, Pastor George? You say, we're normal people. We like to crack jokes. We, 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 we fall down and get back up together. We have problems. We get back. We're normal people. Just look around the room, and you'll see how normal we are. I was thinking about fostering community. I was thinking about fellowship, and I was thinking about the sower and the seed. A lot of people, they, 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 they hear the word of God at once and receive it with gladness. Man, this is great. But because they have no, uh, uh, because the soil is, is, is hard, the seed, it just kind of falls on hard ground and, and it never has a chance to really gain root. It, it just never goes deep. And, and, and when the wind blows, like we were praying about in the, in the beginning, it just blows that seed right on off of that path. And it has, no, I, I just see people, they receive the word of God at once and, and the winds of life and the deceitfulness of, of riches, the deceitfulness of the enemy, all kind of things, just blows that seed right on off of that path and it never begins to grow. Some seed falls on that same path and, and the birds of the air, they just come down and, and pick that seed right, just picks people right on off. The seed is the word of God that wants to gain root in your life. And, and then some seed it falls and, and, and all the cares and all the trials and all the disturbances in the mind and all those things and all those relational problems begin to just choke that seed and make it unfruitful. But, but I believe this. I, I believe that the fellowship of the saints begins to break up that hard ground. It begins to work out those things. Come on, somebody. That's why we got to get in groups. That's why you're going to get in groups. You need to lead groups. You need to be a part of groups. Because when you get in groups, you start thinking about the word. You start praying for one another. You start rebuking one another. It starts breaking up that hard ground in your life so that that root can go deep down and produce some fruit. Come on, somebody. So it can grow down and be established and have fruit of the kingdom operating. Yeah, you know, we're not just playing church here. We're trying to follow the Bible, and this is what it's going to take. You can't short-circuit God's systems. I've tried. I've tried. I've talked to the pastors all the time and say, I'm trapped on earth. And Paul the Apostle put it this way. He says, while I'm in this tent, that's what he used back then, the tent. He was talking about his body. I call it the earth suit. While I'm in this earth suit, there's some things that God laid out for man, for his glory and our good, that I can't short circuit. I've tried. How many people tried that? It don't work, everybody. Stop, just, just go ahead, and, just go ahead and embrace everything that God has for you, and it's going to be good, all right? How can I foster community more? The next value is this. Jesus valued health on the cross. He valued health on the cross and God's design is for us to be whole. That's God's design. That's his original intent is that we would be whole. First Peter chapter two, verse 24 says, he himself, talking about Jesus, bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness and by his wounds you have been made whole or you have been 
healed. Jesus valued health on the cross. I wanna zero in on wholeness just for a moment because a lot of times we think about physical health. I wanna zero in on wholeness just for a moment. It's the state of being perfectly well in body, soul, mind, will, and emotions, and spirit. This was God's original design before the fall of man, but it's now attainable once we join Jesus in heaven. That's the caveat, in heaven. But while we're here in this earth suit, we go through this process of justification I made right with God by faith. And then we're walking through this process of sanctification in the fellowship of believers. And then we, when we die and we're with God, we're in the final state of glorification. And all three of these states bring you to complete wholeness. And the, final, the, the finality of wholeness is in heaven. Glorification. You say, well, I'm sick right now. I've got something for you. 2 Corinthians chapter four, just listen, it's not on the screen. It's chapter four, verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, we're gonna waste away in this earth suit. It's gonna go, I don't care how many anti-aging creams you put on your face, ladies. Come on, somebody. You can laser those spots off and pump those lips up, but you're gonna die. I told you we're normal people. Right? And I want to live. Don't, don't, look, I'll eat and borrow and beg anything to stay alive. Trust me, I'm with you. However, we all going to die. <laughs> Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed every day. You hear me? Though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed every day. That's right. That's why those who are on their deathbed have the fervor of faith because they're being renewed. That's what I want. For this light and momentary affliction, verse 17, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, don't, that, that's that old face in the mirror, you know what I'm talking about? I know it means a lot, but as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen is eternal, Health and wholeness, it's eternal. Come on, somebody, it's eternal. That's why we have hope. I was thinking about the lyrics of the song, it is well with my soul, or my soul is whole because of Christ. Let me read them to you. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows, billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless state and hath shed his own blood for my soul, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. 
Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Speaks of that inner man. Here's a question you can ask yourself today. What are ways I can live out inward health? Inward health. Though the outward man is perishing, the inner man is being renewed every day. Side note, sometimes when the inner man changes, the outward man begins to change. Seen it happen before. Inner man begins to change. Outward disease begins to fall away. Not the case every time. I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you, it is well with my soul. Final value, and we're gonna conclude. Jesus valued stewardship on the cross. Jesus stewarded every moment he had for the good of people. Every moment. He didn't let one go by. Now, he's the greatest example that we follow. Every moment he valued for the good of people, his own glory and the Father's until his last breath. We saw it right there on the cross. To his final breath, he stewarded every final drop of energy that he had. He, he, he stewarded every final word that he had. Every bit of him, he drained out. It was like a rag that was wrung out over and over and over again until every single drop was finished. Boy, that's what we want in our life. Man, that's what my desire is. And I know I missed the mark, but boy, that's what my desire is. Lord, would you just ring out every bit of my life till it's the end? God, you know the number of my days. God, would you help me align myself with you that I might steward the life you gave me well? That God, you could ring me out if I would surrender to you more and more. If I would, set, if I would lay down my life you would show me what life really is and you would be able to ring me out because he doesn't force it. We surrender to it, we yield to it and it's a beautiful picture of outpouring. And Jesus, he did it to the very last breath. John chapter 19, watch this. Verse 28, and after this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Here's a question for you. How can I steward my life better in order to finish well? In order to finish well. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us. I'm asking right now, Lord, that you give us a, a, a revelation of your cross and its implications. Dear God, we surrender to you right now. a holy awe of the Lord, a holy awe of the Lord. 
keep your eyes closed. A holy all of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. God, we need that right now. We surrender. We surrender. We surrender your, to your mission, God. We surrender to your values. It said Jesus came to seek and save which, that which was lost and to destroy the works of the enemy. And he did it at the cross. Thank you for your blood right now, Lord, that was shed for us. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your spirit that fills all in all, God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit right now. Fill me, Lord. That's what you're asking, God, right now. Fill me. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. You know, some of you came in the house of God today and you realized that you're outside of that promise we were talking about. You're outside of that fellowship. You're outside of the, uh, 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 you're alienated. You've been walking in darkness and the Holy Spirit's showing you that. And today is your day of salvation. Today is your day, your fresh start, if you would. Today is your day of surrender. Today is that by faith, you can be justified. You just say, that's me, Lord, save me. That's it, by faith. By your faith confession, God sees your heart and he brings you into the fold. He grafts you into the vine. He said, I'm the vine and you're the branch. And without me, you can do nothing. So I pray for you right now. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're right here in the room. You're giving your life to the Lord. It's his loving kindness that's drawing you. It's nothing within yourself that you've done. He's drawing you. He's doing it. He's giving you the faith to believe. He's doing it right now. And now you're believing. And he's supernaturally grafting you in to his body. He's the head, we're the body. Thank you for that, Lord.